Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome in to episode 27 of Kayfabe Council, show where we review and critique news topics and segments in the world of professional wrestling. My name is Pretty Tony, and alongside me, as always, is TF Joker. Joker, what's the crack, brother? What's going on? Absolutely nothing. Like, literally, there has been a day of, uh, well, actually, no, I went and bought a suit or anything, but that's besides the point. But today has been a day of absolute chill and and, and nothing else going on. All right, fair. I mean, you know, sometimes no news is good news, and a nice, relaxing, quiet day is sometimes few and far between, but definitely well worth it. Ooh, definitely. Yeah, man. This is, uh, like we mentioned last episode, this is quite the uh, little kind of section of wrestling. We just had Full Gear this past week. And if you're listening to this on day one, we would have already had War Games, WWE Survivor Series, just the other day. So, man, we're we're getting all truncated now. And like we had mentioned, a little bit of a dry spell. So try to get a little excited for this particular time in wrestling. I've seen an awful lot of people actually saying on Twitter today, at least, um, that... Uh... They're obscenely excited for Survivor Series war games. War games. Um, and I have to say, I, I agree with them. I am obscenely excited because, like, this is, for all intents and purposes, this is a new uh, format coming into uh, WWE, the mainstream WWE uh, pay per view, premium live event, whatever you want to call them, uh, sort of thing. So, like, to see that and to get more eyes on it, as it were, has a lot of people excited. Some people may remember it from the WCW days and not really paid much attention to it. And then, you know, people are like, oh, I remember, I remember war games with, you know, as last week with your, uh, with your expose on what it used to be. Um, and then people are like, oh yeah, cool. We'll, we'll get to see this style of match. Awesome. So um, it's definitely drawing in some excitement, some buzz around Survivor Series. Something that everybody was kind of like getting a little cold on, myself included. It wasn't something I was particularly ever looking forward to. Not since we had that really, really good Survivor Series, the one year between Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, where Adam Cole put on two weeks of nonstop bang. It's always like something's old again, but it's new again, it's fresh. And it's good to see that folks are excited for it. It can be a fun match. We saw a little bit of the resurgence in NXT the past couple years. And now, like you said, we get to see War Games proper on the main roster, so to speak. So, like you mentioned, this may be the first time a lot of folks are really exposed or just kind of getting to watch a War Games match. Sans looking at sort of archival footage or things from the past couple years. But... Yeah, it's just, like we mentioned last episode, it's going to be sort of a very, very interesting and fun match. We're hearing that folks are going to pull out all stops so we can have things for stills and video packages and stuff. And regardless, with all the people involved and kind of the stories going on, it's going to be a very, very fun couple of matches. Who'd have? All right, and we hope by the time you're listening to this, 
Survivor Series War Games will have already happened, so we hope that you enjoyed War Games as much as we are probably going to as well. Again, this is recorded just before, but we hope everybody uh, had some fun watching it. All right. As a reminder, you can find us in video form at youtube.com slash kfabecouncil and in audio form where we get your podcasts from. On this week's episode, we look at Jamie Hayter wins the AEW Women's Championship and the Elite, the, the Elite, returns to AEW. But coming up first, Jamie Hayter, the strength, the improbable, the killer, some would say, next to the pillar, wins the AEW Women's Championship. So this one was a very, very interesting match. Of course, it comes at the Full Gear pay-per-view that many people were actually, interestingly to note, writing her off in her matchup against Tony Storm, the defending champion going into the match. And folks were, even though she's garnered a ton of momentum and crowd crowd reactions recently, folks weren't convinced that it was a foregone conclusion that she was going to lose and Tony was going to win, but it's a really, really just great thing to see. So before we get into it uh, proper, what were your initial reactions when you saw and or heard that Jamie won the championship? Uh, shock, actually. I was one of the people who had sort of quote-unquote written her off um, not because like I don't feel like Jamie Hader's not right for the position, not right for uh, the title. I just felt that uh, TK was in a position of uh, no win, and instead of cutting his losses, he was more likely to continue on until the wheels fell off. Uh, and to that end, because like he he had already shown that he was willing to do that with Thunder Rosa. Um, where her reign wasn't working as well as people thought it was. He jumped too late Tony Storm, who only got it by um, passing it on to uh, from Thunder Rosa to Tony uh, through a tournament, no less. Um, so I, I, was, I was very... I have been very critical of the AEW women's division. Uh, I feel like we both have sort of talked about it. I myself have probably been a wee bit more critical of it than you. Um, because at the end of the day, if I don't like something, I'm going to say I don't like it and give a reason why. I'm not just going to sit here and be like, I don't like it, and then be one of these people who sits there and goes, well, that's all you're getting from me. I was sort of locked into TK, riding this ship until the end, until Thunder Rosa came back and then do, and then do that way. Um, you lose the belt to uh Tony Storm, thus giving her the, the actual title and then giving her a title shot later on. Because like I said, I think whenever we're doing our predictions, I preferred the idea of the Brit Baker inadvertently coming down or coming down and inadvertently rather, let me get that sentence structure a wee bit better. Uh coming down inadvertently costing Jimmy Hater the title and as such, go on to the feud that everybody actually wanted to see between the killer and the pillar. Um, I I know that there's still room for that, and I, I, I'm even right now, I'm thinking of ways where 
that would be really cool to build to things i want to see out of jimmy hater's reign so far um you know i've got, I've got things that i'm looking out for i think with the uh position that we have um with the new blood in uh Soraya coming in to hopefully help correct the ship uh that is the women's division not that she's going to be doing too much in the way of matches but you know hopefully giving her experience over to Tony and being like bruv bruv you know like let's 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 move it over this way let's make sure we're not doing these silly mistakes um so i i was surprised but pleasantly surprised however she is very young still experienced still very young and i'm worried then that this is going to be a case of tony pulling the trigger on something that was popular getting cold feet and dropping it to brit or dropping it back to tony uh, or dropping it to anyone else i'm I want her to have a strong reign. I want her to have actual meaningful storylines, as in split from Britt Baker at some point. Don't want her in the tag division. Keep her out of the freaking tag division, Tony. She is your singles women's champion. Make her strong. Agreed, I'm with you. And for those that have been with us for a while, he noticed that... Uh... The aforementioned Joker mentioning that both he and I have been critical of the women's division. For those that have been listening as well, it's one of those we just want strong storylines for both the guys and gals. And we've been critical of how Tony's sort of navigated and positioned the women's division so far. Uh, we want these, like we said, these guys and gals to be successful. So nothing taking nothing away from these athletes, but the storylines that they've kind of been in have haven't been the greatest so i in agreeance that we found it interesting that tk eventually pulled the trigger on jamie hater i know i've mentioned before the crux of all out where we had the four-way match where tony storm eventually won the title in that matchup and we had a little bit of dissension with Britt baker and Jamie Hayter in that. That's what I wanted. They had they had a little uh, kind of back and forth. That's the storyline I wanted to see. I thought it was super compelling. We decided not to go that route and cooled off on that. And Britt went towards Sor the debuting Soraya. And Jamie Hayter continued sort of on the path. And since then, she'd garnered a ton of momentum, like you said. But... I was I was sort of happy for her. It was it was one of those where again, take nothing away from Tony. She did a really phenomenal job. She was air, she was very present on TV on Dynamite and had some defenses on uh, Dark as well. She was carrying that and she was putting in the work. But it was one of those that I had mentioned before that since Jamie was very very popular with the fans and she was getting quite the reaction, my piece was. Let's do something with Jamie while the iron is still hot. Let's not maybe try to pull the trigger, so to speak, a month, two months, three months from like now, as we're recording, for example, where it's like maybe that a little bit of that momentum has cooled off and we 
are past the wave. So I'm glad in the sense that we were able to sort of capitalize. And again, Jamie's just, she's a, she's a powerhouse. She offers something different. Again, fans are behind her. So I, I definitely thought it wasn't as surprising, but I definitely liked kind of how uh, the match went and everything like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, strong showing for, for both ladies. Um, obvious interaction with uh, Brit and uh, Rebel, not Reba. Reba, not Rebel. The other person. Um, so, so, yeah, it was, it was kind of... We kind of knew how it was going to play out with this sort of faction. It's always the way it's going to be. Um, no one's really going to think that uh it's unfair because let's face it it's it's how it was going to happen um i really like um i really like i just really like jamie hitter i think she's fantastic she has a lot of upside um and i think that um even even the outcome that has happened uh is only going to be good but this is this is this is where I'm sort of a wee bit apprehensive uh, apprehensive about any talking about this at all is because we have seen uh, Thunder Rosa drop the ball. We have seen TK refuse to pull the trigger on Tony Storm. We have seen Tony Storm get the get the ball through a tournament and then proceed to be booked into oblivion again, and then. Now she has had the ball taken from her and given to Jamie Hader. The only person who it feels like has had any success with this belt has been Brit. Um, obviously the inaugural being Rio, Riho, um, and then uh, Nyla Nyla Rose, um, as well being second, and then for for you know for uh Brit to come along and take that uh that belt like it's had a few champions. But since Brit, um, sorry, you know, missing uh, Sheeta as well in there. Um, but um, since Brit, it hasn't ele- hasn't been elevated to the standard that I think Brit held it to, and that's something I feel like it really needs to get back to. I'm not sure if Jamie Hader is the one to elevate it to those heights, but she is with someone who can help her do that. That's a fair point. And we talk about elevating the title, the title makes the person, the person makes the title. So we think about trying having a strong representation of the title holder and then putting on just really great matches that can represent a championship quality to the match, to the champion, to the challenger. Speaking of which, the match in question at full year with Tony it's an absolutely banger of a match, if I can steal a word from the young kids and Shamo himself. And speaking of which, the mention a little bit of the matchup here. Towards the end, the fireman's carry neckbreaker over Jamie Hader's knee to do a sliding lariat. Gets a two count. Rebel gets up on the apron to distract referee Paul Turner is yelling at her, and he ejects. Rebel, Reba, the lead is appropriate. I love the very animated, you're 
out of here. I love, I love that by the referee. I love that kind of old school thing, bringing that back. We have Jamie draws Tony up, ripcord reversed into a short arm lariat. And so close, another a very, very close pinfall. Hater blocks the cloverleaf and ducks a hip attack. And then we see Britt Baker doing a drive-by stomp onto the belt on the floor. Jamie hits a pile driver, but Tony Storm will not stay down. Ripcord reversed into a German suplex, and Storm snaps it off, but Jamer, Jamie excuse me, kicks out of the Storm Zero. Baker gets up on the apron to run interference, and Tony clobbers her, but the Hatebreaker connects, and Tony Storm kicks out at two, so we're seeing this crazy back and forth with all these near falls. Finish of the match, elbows into the corner. Britt takes the turnbuckle pad off, but Jamie runs into her and knocks her down. And then we see Jamie putting Tony into the exposed turnbuckle. Jamie Hayter wins the interim AEW Women's World Championship by pinfall with the Haterade. Also like the, uh, the name of her, uh, of her finishing move. So good. I love it so much. But to your point, man, we talk about Starting off with a, again, strong representation or strong kind of impact. We had two, two women just go in 100 miles an hour and arguably very highly ranked match on the night of a pay-per-view that was very, very good and fun to watch and had a lot of high impact moves and things of such and, and told a fun story. The aforementioned interference by... Rebel, not Reba, as well as Britt coming into play, which we also thought would definitely come in as a factor into the match. But like I mentioned, taking away nothing from Tony and Jamie, but these two women went out there to try and steal the show, and they put on a phenomenal match. So with Jamie coming away with the victory, to your point earlier, just about, man, Trying to put on phenomenal matches, be a championship quality match, be a championship quality sort of champion as well as contender. And these guys, these ladies just, man, I would say blew the socks off of folks who thought this might have been a throwaway match. Yeah, 100%. Um, This is the kind of match that Tony Storm has needed in her career since she got. She has had some uh, really good matches with people. And this is, this is the problem I have with baby faces. Um, she has had some really good matches that show respect. You know, show respect to her opponent. She's friendly with an awful lot of people. She's a friendly person. Even in some sort of, in, in whenever we had uh, this whole outing with Soraya uh, and Tony Storm was in ring she felt very sheepish compared to everyone else she was showing a lot of respect there was no charisma there was no uh there was no um sort of just attitude from her like she is she comes out and she shows this sort of attitude style but she doesn't have any and i just don't understand why she is sort of portraying someone as a as a rocker, as a punk person, you know, as sort of somebody who has this potential to have character. But to me, anytime I've seen her do anything, she hasn't 
had that joie de vivre for me. She hasn't had that sort of um, that that overarching uh, charisma that Jimmy Hitter is honestly throwing out in spades. Like she's being obnoxious. She's being a complete witch. You know, she is fantastic because she's able to do it with uh, Brett Baker. Whereas, you know, you have to be this sort of respectable, sort of humble person. And Tony, to me, does not suit that. And I don't know what it is, if it was just sort of feeling of awkwardness or, or, or whatever, uh, being in the ring with whoever it was. But I don't know. Like, this match proved to me that Tony Storm has what it takes to be the champion, and to be the champion, she maybe should have stayed. You're referring to sort of that Soraya Town Hall where she brought out all the baby yeah. faces? Okay, that's okay, I'm just making sure. Yeah, it was one of those sort of interesting segments. We touched a little bit on it when it happened, but... I'll agree with you that Jamie just has has that swagger has a bit of that just charisma that we haven't really got a chance to see full-fledged on the mic but she has this kind of cockiness or in the ring and kind of how she is alongside Brit as well but yeah Tony I'll agree she's like super super baby face as well and it's been not to say that like it's happy-go-lucky but it's one of those to your point about a little bit of that kind of rocker vibe and kind of that punk or like kind of Nikki Six type of type of piece. She she definitely has a degree of charisma herself and kind of the way the way she does moves and kind of the way she kind of moves and kind of the sort of swagger unto herself that she has. But I'll agree it's been missing is the wrong word, but it's been sort of misplaced kind of in her trying to fit into Tony Khan's AW women's division. So I feel like, yeah, it's, it's been a bit off. She is definitely one of those that can carry herself well in the ring. But yeah, I think it was just one, like we talked about, where TK just wanted to, wanted to roll with sort of the, the hot hand and the popular one. And we saw evidence of, again, the phenomenal match that these two women had. And, you know, I think the fans responded well to, to Jamie winning and like they have been supporting her for the past month or so. Yeah, and, and hopefully this isn't something that the fans cool off on. Um, now, kind of uh, give this as a sort of parallel. Like we do have, the current situation with the acclaimed where everybody loves the acclaimed obviously we have loved the acclaimed for a long time it's taken the crowd a little bit of time to catch up with us trendsetters pt i know you've never been called a trendsetter before but i would like and neither have i but i would like to call us trendsetters we have loved the acclaimed for a long time um and we are absolutely stoked to see those two boys succeed and it's through the fan interaction through the fan sort of interference as it will um whenever you know they were hella over in their fight against serving our glory that they ended up losing and then the next uh the next go around they won which is fantastic 
Um, and they have gone from strength to strength, and it's, it's great to see that people are, are still talking about them. I want that for Jamie. And I think that this past Wednesday, the announcement, which we're going to talk about, will do everything to ensure that people continue to talk about Jamie. That was a phenomenal segue. Fantastic, my brother. So we had a, like Joker said, a actually really important announcement happen on this past week's episode of Dynamite. We have some notes here. Thunder Rosa's reign as AEW Women's World Champion has come to an end on this week's episode of AEW Dynamite. Rosa won the title in March of this year, but hasn't defended it in over three months due to an apparent back injury. In her place, Tony Storm became the interim AEW World's Women Championship at All Out and lost the title to Jamie Hayter at Full Gear. Renee Paquette on Dynamite then introduced Hayter as the Women's World Champion, who was going to speak before being interrupted by Britt Baker. Rosa's relinquishment of the title comes days after AEW President Tony Khan said he had been considering stripping her of the title. So the aforementioned announcement brought on by Renee Paquette saying that Thunder Rosa and AEW management had come to an agreement and now with Jamie winning at full gear, she was announced as the undisputed women's world champion and also of note that Tony Storm's reign beginning at All Out is now retroactively taken on the lineal Women's World Championship, so they excluded the interim from her. So we went from Thunder to Tony Storm to Jamie Hayter. So all of those women are recognized as AEW World's Women's Champion. So phenomenal to give her credibility, Jamie, of being the torchbearer, the number one, as it will, in the division holding the championship. So Joker, I'll throw it over to you. I know, and you've mentioned it numerous times, that you're just not a fan of the interim situation, whether it be on any belt that we've seen a handful of times in AEW. But what was your just initial reaction when you heard that they now have taken away the interim nomenclature and have announced Jamie, as well as Tony, as women's world champion? So happy. Like obscenely happy you said it there like to give these people credibility they need to be known as champion like if you are known as a champion you instantly have credibility if you're known as an interim you're seen as a placeholder you are seen as the person who is just there until the other person gets back and this is the problem i've had for years with wwe and you know, more recently with AEW, I hate interim titles because it just makes me look at the title and go, well, what is the point in you? And when I'm already looking at your women's division as a point of contention, as a point of weakness on your brand, why are you weakening it even more by putting on this interim tag? There was no need for it. And in my opinion, uh, Tony Storm's reign suffered from having that interim tied around her neck like she did not need that because every single time she's interim women's she's like no 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 she's the women's world champion 
like come on like give her the respect she deserves and as much as uh, i love that this has happened for me it has happened too late it should have happened at the title uh at the title um first title defense okay okay first title defense for her like sure okay uh, you know, we have heard that. Um, you know, we've heard that Thunder is is getting better. She's doing whatever, but she should have been in in talks with AEW about her recovery. How long is it going to take? If it's going to take longer than three months, then we need to remove interim from Tony's Tony Storm, and then you can fight for the title whenever you come back, whenever you're fit, whenever you're better. If it's going to take shorter than three months, okay, cool. We'll hold on to interim. And then you can come in, you can fight, and we can we can do whatever we need. The fact that we had this conversation at all shows to me that TK has no idea what he's doing with these women in this division. And it's really annoying to see that that has, uh, that has been the case this entire time. I am now happy with the additions of Madison Rain and Soraya to women who sort of spearheaded the women's divisions in other companies who have sort of put their names out there as uh heralds for the women's women's uh, side of the sport um that they are possibly hopefully teaching tk a thing or two about showing respect for what these individuals deserve in the ring because that's what they need they need their credibility they need the the their importance given to them they can't just they can't just sit there and be like uh, taking spears from their boss because oh we're known as interim title holders this that and the other like it's absolute BS. For the longest time, I personally saw the TBS title as the prime women's title because at least Jade was doing something with it. Then Jade stopped doing anything with it, and the most important thing has happened to that thing in months is Nyla Rose stole it and became the TBS champion, which I loved, by the way. That was a fantastic storyline. Um, so have this interim noose removed from the women's division. It is the best thing that's happened. And hopefully, because of this, like I said before, we're going to continue talking about how amazing the women's division is. We can continue to have an amazing champion like Amy Hater and her finisher, the Hater Ace. We talked about trying to bring credibility and importance to the women's championship and the division as a whole. You touched on a, a couple really good points that we now, removing the interim, gives lends the credibility and gives merit to what Tony Storm has did in holding down the division as their number one, as well as now Jamie just capitalizing on that phenomenal work rate and crowd support and everything. And the example of when you can get two people that want to just go out there and put a banger on, we've seen the what they can do. And arguably some folks would put it, that match in contention for one of the better matches on the night at full gear. We've got some more... Ladies coming in, you mentioned Madison Rain. Tons of experience has been working with the younger talent. I noticed she's been in some tag matches with Sky Blue, so it's great to have veterans as well as some inexperienced or kind of more rookie level competitors to kind of come in and, and have that variety in there. 
And then the nature of the TBS championship. So I feel like we're moving in the right direction with as seemingly as small as taking the interim tag away can do. But with the example of the matchup at full gear and Tony kind of listening to the fans and putting it on a, you know, fairly just deserving individual out in Jamie, I feel like we can kind of move forth and try to have a little bit more importance on the women's division as well. I know we have had this conversation in a previous episode, but it's one of those where we need to have a degree of parity and almost not continue to have this conversation where it's like, where where's the women's representation and where where the women's matches on these shows and things of such. So to bring it home, small piece of removing the interim tag, but I feel like it's a big step. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, there's nothing, uh, nothing short of, uh, nothing short of amazing, uh, really, uh, to give the first step back in the right direction for this, uh, for this division. And one small note here that I read in the article there that during the announcement of Renee Paquette announcing that Jamie is the undisputed women's champion, we had a little bit of a moment where Renee was about to have Jamie address the crown, but Britt took the mic. So we know that we've the aforementioned that all out when Jamie was going to get a pinfall, but Britt pulled the referee out of the ring. You had a little bit of a dissension, some tension, so I thought it was very, very interesting. Jamie tried to play it off within the interview segment itself, but as they were getting ready for a tag team matchup. But the relationship of Britt and Jamie should be very, very interesting now that sort of the tables have turned, and now Jamie sits atop the AEW's women's division before when we had Britt sitting atop and Jamie was sort of her her number her number two. So I think it's going to be a very interesting dynamic on how that little tension or how that storyline may indeed play out. So I mean I have been sitting atop the mountain uh meditating on how this is going to go uh gonna go along and Joe Kodama's hat is on. I am seeing that this is the obvious lead-in to a potential end game for Britt and Jamie uh, to have a feud, but you do not put that type of match on regular TV. You do not put that match on to a Winter is Coming, a Fighter Fest, a you know Shark Week or whatever you do. You don't put you put that on one of your big marquee events. That is the combustible element, just absolutely exploding. I personally do not think Jamie Hader is a very strong promo. She is good, but she's beside Rip Baker, who is a very good promo. The last couple of weeks with Soraya, we have seen how good a promo she is. We've seen how uh, how well she can handle herself and how uh, how experienced she is with the mic. Jamie Hader, not quite as experienced. That's not a knock on her. That's just showing the difference between the two. So, I am okay with uh, her having a mouthpiece, but I do like having the idea of setting us up to have a Brit and Jamie split. 
because I've talked about it before. I wanted it before Jamie got the title. If you remember, you know, the whole the whole talking about it. Um, and now we can see Jamie, who is going to go ahead and take on uh, more people. By the way, her first time with the belt and she's in a tag match. I really gritted my teeth and wanted to punch TK through the face. But I relented. I was at peace with myself. Didn't nothing happen. But we need to see her in singles action. None of this none of this tag team. She's not the women's tag team She's the singles team. So come on, TK. You put her in a couple of matches, she wins, she goes on a couple, you know, a couple of wins. And then, you know, after each interview, she gets progressively more angry with Brit with the fact that she's taking over the interview. Britt says, look, darling, I plucked you from obscurity. I made you what you are. I did this. You are holding my championship. I'm just letting you hold it. That sort of thing. Then we see Jamie knock the clean business out of Britt Baker and send us into a nice one-on-one feud with Rebel, not Reba, uh, trying to offer distraction. But Jamie hit her nose all about this, knocks the business out of Rebel as well, and then gets herself a clean finish over the Britness, and just sort of puts a, puts a line underneath that relationship, and then goes on to hopefully uh, have some really good promos from I don't I don't think that it's gonna happen immediately, but it's how I would like them to build to it. I don't want them to shoehorn it in. It felt natural the first time that everybody was chanting for them to fight. It needs to feel natural this time. Because if it doesn't, it's just kinda of gonna feel like it's not over. It's shoehorned in and well what's the point in it uh but definitely it is it's something that's gonna lead to future issues within this uh dmd faction there's two things i took away from that obviously during the onstage promo with renee and jamie and brit obviously brit taking the mic and speaking for her introducing her as the women's champion Subsequently, there was a digital exclusive where we had Jamie speaking with Lexi Nair that's available on social media and basically was would probably have been the promo she had with Renee, but Jamie speaking with Lexi and I was into it. I mean, it was probably about a minute, minute and change, but it was one of theirs where we got a little bit to be able to see Jamie speak, especially sort of in the promo and the lead up to the match with Tony, but yeah, I think she did a very, very serviceable job. Like, we haven't seen a ton of uh, promos from Jamie, but it's one of those when she kind of speaks honestly and speaks from the heart a little bit. Like, yeah, she can, she can be very, very convincing. And if you have an opportunity to see the post-full-ear media scrum, she, you know, she was able to, again, speak from the heart. And there's, there's elements that she can, she can be a strong promo. But like we talked about in previous episodes, folks need to get reps in. So give, give Jamie time with Renee. Renee does a really, really good job of has those mean gene 
Okerlund elements where you, you kind of softball a question and then they and then the person who's being interviewed can kind of just go ahead and, and do their promo and she, much like me and Jean, if they get a little sidetrack and kind of say a little remark, kind of bring them back in or reel them back in to kind of get them refocused, and she does a really good job with that. So having her with Renee would be really, really good. And then the piece there, I've talked about it at nauseum. That's what I wanted to see, especially in the aftermath of All Out. I wanted to see Jamie and Britt, and because they had, that was sort of the kind of perfect time because we had that tension at sort of a, a full eclipse, but seemingly like it was too soon or they wanted to tell more with that story. But now that we can slowly filter it back in, I'm in agreement when things naturally happen and they're not shoehorned in, those are sort of the best and we can kind of get behind it. But I'm in agreement that I think we have real potential, especially from the match-wise and when Jamie gets better, gets more time and then significantly shows what she can do on the stick. I feel like we're going to have a uh, interesting program between she and Brit. Well, that is the thing. Like I said, I don't think that Jamie Hader is a bad promo. I think that Jamie Hader is a fair to meddling promo. That is the, that is the one thing that we have to make a hundred percent clear here. She is not Thunder Rosa levels of promo. Guys. She is better than that. But when you compare her to who she's with, I do think Brit should be doing her talking. Mainly because it leads into what you want. It leads into the fact that we can have this. So I don't care about the backstage promos. They can, you know, they can happen. They will help her get the reps. 100% agree on the Renee thing. Because she is definitely a really great I just need them not to rush it. If they rush it, it will suck. And I will be annoyed with it. Because if you give if you give um a rematch, let's say a rematch to Tony Storm, because now she's being recognized as a as a women's champion, she's a former AW women's champion. If you give her a rematch, get her wins clean, then that kind of gives her confidence enough to kind of be like, well, no, 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 I beat her clean. I didn't need the dent, you know. And then she goes on, she does a couple more. Maybe you know, maybe Brit comes in. It's only only like two two to three defenses or singles match. That's all you really need to do with growing in you know, uh, growing tensions from Brit. Then boom, catalyst, and we have uh, the next pay per view. I think in March and uh, February start of March. Like that would be more than enough time to have these two blow up at a pay per view. Because like Stone Cold said, whenever he was supposed to go against Brock Lesnar on live TV, he's like, you don't put that on free TV. Speaking about his match with Brock Lesnar whenever he went and took his ball home. Like, you don't put this stuff on free TV. I want to see that at a pay-per-view where it gets pomp, circumstance, grandeur. You took it right out of my brain. So we have full gear roughly maybe two, two and change months away. Just as we wind down the segment, do you feel like that's enough time to and the appropriate place to have the Jamie versus Brit match? I feel like given importance on the show, yes. I feel like you have three months, that's 12 weeks to 
build a decent story between these two where Jamie is working other people and Brit is slowly getting on her nerves. And then yeah, 100% combustible elements combust as it were. I know I've repeated that an awful lot of stuff an awful lot of uh times this evening, but you know, it kind of makes sense here. Uh Jimmy Hater is just going to try and knock the teeth out of the dentist and it, it just feels like yes, 12 weeks to get a sort of pseudo slow burn to that place where we were before uh is is more than enough time. Fair enough. I'm definitely been waiting to see it, so if it's told right, I'm definitely going to look forward to it. But those were our thoughts on Jamie Hayter winning the AEW Women's World Championship. So let us know down in the comment section on YouTube what you thought of Jamie winning, or hit us up on Instagram or Twitter and let us know what your thoughts are on her being the undisputed AEW Women's Champion. All right, moving on to our next topic here. The Elite. The The Elite returns to AEW at full gear, taking on the Death Triangle in a really, really just high impact, just fun, really, really intense matchup. I mentioned it before. Anytime you can get any combination of those six guys just going into a match, it's always kind of going to be a fun and exciting sort of fast break type offense. I know you were not the greatest fan of just high spot after high spot after high spot, but I felt like it was just a very, very fun and engaging match just to watch and kind of be enthralled with. So when you heard the announcement, that we were going to have the return of the elite at full gear. Just what were your what were your just impressions or what were your thoughts kind of going into the match itself? I knew we were gonna get an amazing match because I instantly remembered the amazing match that the, the cage match between the Bucks and the Lucha Bros. Um that was just insane. I loved every second of it. I know Pac is criminally underrated by uh, an awful lot of people in the higher ups. Kawhi, he doesn't have like multiple belts in multiple uh, companies. You know, I'll never know. Uh, maybe it's because he is who he is. He is Pac. But, uh, and then, you know, there's Kenny Omega. You don't really need to say anything else. It's Kenny Omega. Um, he is the, uh, he is the Will Ospreay of his generation. Um, but it's one of those things that you know I'm just trying to stir more heat, bud. Just trying to stir more heat. Don't don't read too much into it. The straw that stirs the drink. Oh, I love I love love stirring. Those boys will never never hear this, but you know I am a big fan of both Kenny and Will, and the fact that those two are going up against each other at Wrestle Kingdom for another story. Anyway, um. Yeah, it, it, they've got six really good athletes in there. I'm not the biggest fan of uh, continually doing high spots. Luckily, these six guys know how to tell a story in their match, and they do have high spots, but they also have wrestling spots. They also have break spots in there. You know, they, they have those rest spots for individuals, um, and they have some drama in there as well, um, as well as the obvious... Uh, the obvious sort of elite coming down 
being the heels because we are, of course, in Chicago for this second run, uh, for the second uh, for the second match. But that was that was just that was more hilarious. Um, but this this first match was nothing short of fun. Yes, carrying on our wayward sons have returned to AEW at the aforementioned match at full gear. We have the last portions of the matchup here. Nick Jackson with a Poison Frankensteiner on Ray Phoenix. Omega with a powerbomb into a BTE trigger, but Pac breaks it up. Throwing the Bucks out of the ring, the bastard, if yo nasty. Has the hammer, but Nick just barely clocks him with a super kick before he can hit Kenny. Dry, diving on onto him, Matt off the top rope with an Orihara moonsault. And finish of the matchup here, Omega is clear on Phoenix. V-Trigger! But Pac hands Phoenix the hammer into the electric chair from Omega. And Ray gives in and hits Kenny with the hammer. In the setup to the One Wing Angel, and we see the Death Triangle win by pinfall, as we with a victory roll from Ray Phoenix on Kenny Omega to retain AEW Trios World Championship. We have a small note here of post match: Phoenix is down about giving in and using the hammer, but Pac and Penta give him a little bit of a pep talk. So we've been seeing over the course of the past couple weeks. Most notably at the most recent Battle of the Belts, we've seen Mr. Bastard himself, Pac, been using the hammer from the ring bell to neutralize his opponents, most notably on Orange Cassidy, to retain the All-Atlantic Championship when they had that match there, but sort of been his uh, modus operandi, his MO of the past number of weeks, and had that backstage piece where he tried to get his fellow Death Triangle members on board with using the hammer. So we see Ray at the end of the match, Phoenix himself, be sort of troubled and, and may not have wanted to do it, but he saw the opportunity. He was about to be hit in the one-wing angel, sort of took that poison, if you wheel, and used the hammer to retain. So we saw after the match he was conflicted, but Pac told him it's fine, you know, it's only cheating if you get caught, as as Don Callis and many heels would say, but we see him sort of take the bait and uh, use the hammer, and still the Death Triangle retains at full gear. Yeah, it is only cheating if you get caught. There was absolutely nothing done. They weren't caught. It wasn't disqualified. It was perfectly fine. Um, I, I called the use of the hammer. I, we all knew it was coming. I I love the fact that it was Ray that did it, uh, Ray Phoenix, um, because he is the one that has been the most sort of giving the most pushback to this, and it, it's it's great for two reasons. His brother uh is not as adverse to it. He knows uh him and uh Pac are both do whatever it it takes types, um, plus the fact that um. It was the one-winged angel. Like there has only been one person to kick out of that, and it is the most protected move. And you know for dang sure that if it was to hit, 
that Ray would have to be bound for the three. So him, you know, and it, it lands even more uh, power to the one-winged angel, um, to the Sephiroth, if you will, uh, because it's he didn't want to do it, so he resorted to the one thing. He took that poison, as you said. Uh, it resorted to the one thing he didn't want to do because he didn't want to take the pinfall. He did whatever it took to win. Um, I thought it was really good. I thought it was really, really good storytelling. Uh, out of a box match, this is what you expect. Uh, this kind of storytelling, and I think it was great that the elite did not win the titles because it just goes to show us that uh, TK actually had some forethought and was like, "Well, we can't just take the titles off you, then give them back to you. We have to make you work for them." You know, I I feel like as we move on through this, that it will culminate in them winning. But I'm just glad we did not see, um, we did not see them win immediately. Quite right. When we were speaking about the lead into Full Gear, I had mentioned in regards to this matchup that obviously the Elite had won the Trios Championship. They were the inaugural champions due to the controversy at All Out. They were stripped and immediately. The next TV taping at Dynamite, the Death Triangle won. So with a brand new title, you definitely want to see some consistency. You want to see sort of a strong initial champion just to try to give strength and a bit of prestige to your title that you're introducing. So I mentioned when we were talking about this matchup that I think it would be do it would do them well to keep the titles on Death Triangle, but I was thinking that almost maybe everybody was sort of writing this off as the Elite was going to win, much in the nature of the previous matchup that we talked about, but I think some fans were surprised that Death Triangle retained. I was thankful that they retained. I was worried that the Bucks uh, and Omega would win. I was worried that the that that TK would just be like, "These are my boys. I'm giving it back to the EVPs." I was worried that that would happen. Um, I'm really happy that uh, I'm not calling them their stupid names, Triangle de la Muerte. I'm I'm really happy that they won because they. They just they deserve it. Like, if the Lucha Bros aren't in the tag division, they need to hold belts because they will just do so many good things with that at the top of the division. Um, I think whenever they held the uh, the tag titles for a while, they did really well. Um, but I'm really sad not to see them against the likes of FDR, the likes of Clean, the likes of whoever in that division. So, so seeing them against the Bucks, who are also not in that division any at the minute, um, I'm really happy. I'm really, really happy that these boys uh, have got uh, have got some uh, some gold and still holding on to it. Agreed. The Lucha Brothers, as well as the Elite, who are currently not in the AEW Tag Team Title contention proper. Always exciting, and they have phenomenal matches. You quoted the cage match that they had previously, and that was just an, another phenomenal match. 
But as we see, due to the controversy that happened at Full Gear with the using of the hammer by Ray Phoenix on Kenny Omega, we will get to see more of the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks in the form of a Best of Seven series, which was announced this past week on AW Dynamite, that will play itself out through the middle and beginning portions of January. So at the current moment, we have the Death Triangle with their victory at Full Gear and the second matchup that happened on Dynamite are currently up 2-0 in their Best of Seven series with the Elite. And once again, if necessary, the seventh match will happen at the January 11th episode of AEW Dynamite. So we wanted, we had a high impact match at Full Gear. You wanted more, you got more. At least uh, seven matches potentially scheduled. Yeah, we're 100% getting all seven of these matches. Like We no have to get not. seven matches. There's a 100% <laughs> chance of getting seven matches, and I'll tell you exactly how it's going to go. We're going to go 2-2 two, two up, and then we're going to get the Triangle de la Muerte, get the 3-2 the up, and then the week before, Kenny has to go to Wrestle Kingdom to face Mr. Will Ospreay, the Kenny Omega of his generation. Um, Kenny will get the pin on Ray or... Uh, I, I want him to get the pin on Ray for the initial, uh, with the one-winged angel, for the initial sort of revengeance, uh, if you will, uh, on the very first hammer shot. And then he will get the pin, and then he will lead into Wrestle Kingdom on a victory, I suppose. Um, and then that will be the 3-3. He goes off to Wrestle Kingdom, does whatever he does there, comes back, and then seventh match. So it has to happen. When you offer a best of seven series, you kind of have to go to seven matches. You do. You really do. It's not like it was, oh, best two out of three or, or best out of five type of thing. For, yeah. So I'm in agreement with you that it would eventually go to the seventh match. And you did make it of note that the first, the first six matches, the sixth one, will happen on December 28th's episode of Dynamite at New Year's Smash. And then the aforementioned, we take a brief hiatus for about two weeks because Kenny's going over to Wrestle Kingdom to fight Will Ospreay. Fourth? It's usually, yeah, so January 4th is the uh, traditional date for Wrestle Kingdom. So that matchup will have December 28th for the trios match. We obviously see Kenny go over to Wrestle Kingdom. And then the match, last match is scheduled January 11th. So after Wrestle Kingdom happens. So I, like I said, they're always, any combination of these guys are fantastic. And I'm always down to see any combination of these six guys. But this raises huge red flags for me. Once I heard that they were going to announce the best of seven series between these two teams, instantly threw up flags. Now you're probably wondering, like, we're getting Death Triangle and the Elite. Why would you, why are you sort of suspicious or why are you throwing up flags? It comes down to, we had, we had the nature of, obviously, like I'd mentioned before, the Elite winning, stripped of the titles, and then the Death Triangle won them subsequently, hadn't been defending them. So we have a match 
in all fairness, it ended, like we said, in some controversy with the hammer shot. But if we're going to have seven matches between these two guys, excuse me, these two teams, it shows me a lack of depth for the trio's title scene and the, and the sort of trio's divisions all around. That if you can't have maybe Death Triangle every couple of weeks, every two, maybe three weeks, just fight a team for the trio's championship if you if you have to have them have seven matches against one opponent then what's going on with your trios slash tag team division what's going on that's where my red flags have been raised in terms of that honestly it's very fair it's a very fair point to me um because they are relatively new belts they were on the elite first of all uh, and then they are on somebody else who's really only had three matches, really, in trios kind of kind of contest. The one, the two in the the two in the tournament, and the the one after one, and the mini in the, the face off against the best friends, like maybe four. I don't know. You can count it on one hand, is what I'm trying to get to. It it is a very small state of affairs, uh, in the trios division. Um, uh, it's not like where you know in the freebird road where you can just kind of have three guys and have them defending any combination of those three defending two titles and then the tag titles. This is literally you need three people. So we saw top flight with um. AR Fox. The AR Fox, sorry, yeah, because those JR Fox. AR Fox uh was competing. Like uh, it's not really a uh, a a sort of team that we've ever seen before. Um you know, we've had sort of people come together to be trios who aren't necessarily actual trios. Now, if we had um these kind of groups or factions thing right now again uh then if we had more of those together it would be great to see i would personally like to see a little bit more of the dark order um come back in uh there are an awful lot of other individuals you can put into this scene they are however in storylines that are outside of this division um while it is a very valid point. I feel like personally, this best of seven is so that we can eventually put the titles back on the elite, but give the Triangle de la Muerta uh, some power, a feeling of strength, as it were. So you're not getting squashed. Um, they will win one of their matches clean. Uh, they've already won two dirty uh, with the Hammers. I, I feel like they're going to win one of those clean, and I feel like that will be a Ray Fenix job. Um, but at some point, the Elite will take over this belt, and then we will see the true strength of what their trios division is. Fair point. AW's been taking a little bit of nods from New Japan in the notion of having the factions 
where we've seen New Japan has been notorious for things like Bullet Club, things like Chaos, more recently with a United Empire, things like that. So we've and and they've had a history of of having these factions. So the nature of being able to have trios maybe from these collective groups is is not a bad thing to have and type of thing. But as I looked at the tournament to crown the initial trios champions, I looked at how did we put together, how did we have the teams here? So I have them here in front of me. Death Triangle, okay, makes sense. They're a team. United Empire, which was Will Ospreay and Aussie Open. So we borrowed them from New Japan. Okay, fair. This was during the time when we had the Forbidden Door was open, so I'm okay with that. Uh, La Faccione Gorbanable, we had Andrade, Rouge, and Dragon Lee. Okay, I'm not mad at it. Strong team, so first time we got to see them in AEW team together. The Elite, okay. They were together before, so that was fine with that. House of Black, okay, yeah. Trios, heck yeah, let's go. The Dark Order, so this was Johnny Hungy, uh, Alex Reynolds, and Hangman Page. Hangman. So, so Dark Order themselves. Uh, called up from Dark Elevation, the Trust Busters, to help round that out. And then the final team was Best Friends. So, it almost felt like we had to have a little bit of help in order to get these eight teams together. I'm looking at the nature of the Trust Busters. I'm looking at, we had to borrow folks from New Japan and the United Empire, and we had to borrow Dragon Lee to make uh, La Faccione Gobernable. So where I'm going with this is, I mean, maybe we at the time didn't have it sort of full-fledged in order to completely round out this tournament to set it up, but I'm trying to think of, like you we have a couple of teams still here from those initial tournament, but what is, let's just say when it goes to seven matches and the eventual winner is set and these teams have to take a break from one another because we probably most likely will have seven matches to your earlier point. How will we see the trios division kind of flush out? How will we see the importance kind of put onto it to make it feel like an important belt? an important championship for us to watch for these matches. What or kind of who are we going to have for the winner to defend their championship against? So in my opinion, this is strictly my opinion this is not the answer, but likely likely is you have JAS, which you can have daddy magic and Danny Garcia as a solid trio. You can also have, Chris Jericho, when he loses the Ring of Honor title, you can have Sammy Guevara and you can have Jake Hager as a trio. The Sex Gods plus Purple Hat, I wouldn't be mad at it. Okay. You can have um, you can have the uh, oh, why am I blanking on the name? Blackpool Combat Club. You have uh, Claudio Castagnoli. You have uh, Mister um, John Moxley, and you have Wheelerist of Judas. I'd like to see those three perform because okay. let's face it, I don't think they should be in a tag division. These three guys feel like they are the only individuals that don't need titles right now, uh, and it would be a good way to include Wheeler Yuta also in having some reps in there. You do still have the best friends. Um, I think that whenever you have uh, somebody as popular as 
uh, Orange Cassidy. We will take that uh, All Oceans Championship off him. And once he no longer has that is when we will see the best friends probably hold those titles uh, and become Rio's champion. Uh, I reckon we'll probably see that maybe about summertime. It would be a good time. Maybe, you know, the, the end of spring next time would be a good enough uh, sort of length of, of time that the Elite have held it. Um, you do have the Trustbusters who hopefully will come back again. Obviously, yes, it is a rather young group. You have uh, Slim, was a Slim J, um, and you have Arya Dvari, and you have uh, Mark Boudreau. Really, really good. You also have Sonny Kiss in there, who I would like to see if we didn't have Parker or Slim J, you know, kind of like a sort of expanded Freebird Woo. Um, you do have the House of Black who have come back, uh, which I really need to see um, Big Bad Brody uh, get a singles title at some point. But honestly, I think I need to see all three of those gentlemen have a singles title at some point. So the end game for me for those guys is they all break apart, they all have a, a big war, and then somebody takes the big belt. But anyway, another one that we could have is the Factory. Now, the Factory is one of these factions that you have in the company that uh, comes together when QT Marshall wants. They kind of fill a story point, but there's enough of them uh, that you can have. Uh, you've got Shoddy Lee, you've got Big Nick Camarado, uh, you've got a couple of other guys in there that their names are escaping me. It's not really important right now, but you have enough people there who uh, you know who are uh, sort of able to compete. Their bodies, they're not going to be champions, but they're able to compete in that in that sort of realm of uh, of, of structure. Um, then you have the two teams that we already what we've been talking about. Um, then another faction that we have is also the um, the MJF's Black Dogs, the firm, who could come together to get their own titles. Like, maybe they feel it getting uh, singles titles, singles gold. Maybe they feel it getting tag gold. They want trios, you know? So there's another, there's another sort of thing that you can add in as well. Um, good thing about the trios division, in my opinion, is... It's not something that you need to have week in, week out. It's something you can drop in um, and have the Elite as the champion. Um, and then for a threesome, three, uh, you know, gang to come in and be like, boys, you have held those titles for long enough. You haven't really fought. And then you have a couple of weeks on the trot where you're talking about the trios. And then you forget about the trios for a while. And then you talk about, it's not a big belt. Uh, so it's the thing to hold. Uh, it's definitely one of the divisions that I would put on this is, you know, not a, not not trying to be funny, but is the third down the list uh, in terms of sort of maybe fourth down the list on importance uh, for me personally. But it's, it's, you definitely have teams there that can, um, can sort of work around everything and uh, sort of expand on that point even more. If you continue to have this, Forbidden door open. You have things like de Hon, have more members of Chaos who come in. You have Bullet Club that could come in. You have 
loads more uh, interaction with the United Empire should Will Ospreay beat uh, Kenny Omega or vice versa. So yeah, there's there's still, in my opinion, a lot of teams and interactions that you can do with this. Um, I think the only thing we have to do is don't put as big an emphasis on it as we would maybe a singles title or the tag title. I'm also going to add Lefaxion and Gobernable because we have Roosh with Butcher and the Blade and or Preston. So we can throw that in there. We still have the Dark yep. Order with uh, Johnny Hungy, Alex Reynolds, and Evil Uno. We still have that. We can still have the, the Ring of Honor boys. Bolton Castle and the boys are the are the six man the trios. Right, are the six man championship holders. The the embassy with Brian Cage, right, in the Gates of Agony. So now that you're helping me refocus and kind of thing, now I'm actually a little bit eased now that we have teams. Hmm. So my I guess my flag was if we had why did we have to have seven matches type of thing? Was it was the division not as deep? But you reminding me of kind of of all these groups and these pairings that we do have, in fact, a division that you can, like we said, maybe every two or three weeks, have a have a trios match scheduled for the championship and have an opportunity for folks to end up being champions and, and pass that around. So, yeah, I actually, with your reminding, I, I've feel like this can definitely be a division and championship where we can have some defenses and still be exciting. So, okay, thank you. I, I do appreciate you reminding me and kind of getting me refocused. It's it's still a really valid red flag, though, because none of that will be worth anything. Like, just, just having those teams there is not going to be worth anything if they do not structure this division correctly. Just having those teams and not using them means that if... You know, if we have uh, the Dark Order um, sitting there, for example, not doing anything, and they're not being used, well, they may as well not be there. Like, it, it's it's almost a little bit silly um, how criminally underutilized they are being uh, right now. Uh, so it's still a red flag. It's just something that maybe it's more of a red flag on the booking of the division more so than the side. I think that's a fair point. I guess capitalize on the now second return of the elite this year in a sense. So we have teams, but it's more on the onus of the booking and how we're positioning that once we finally get through the seventh match in January, we'll see how it goes. We have teams. We set it up right. It can still be an exciting championship to watch and look forward to, but it's on TK to figure this out. So those were our thoughts on the Elite returning once again and setting up the Best of Seven series and the Trios division with Death Triangle moving forward as champions. So let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram and let us know what your thoughts are on the Elite returning and the Trios champions as well as the division as a whole. All right, coming up to Quick Hits. So for some of the newer listeners, Quick Hits are little segments that happen throughout the week that we really enjoyed. The sort of a Pop the Boys segment, 
we wanted to highlight here that we may not have gotten an opportunity to talk about in a topic full-fledged that we just wanted to share because we enjoyed it. I myself have a quick hit this week, and it comes from this past week's episode of Friday Night Smackdown. And this is a backstage segment where we see Sami Zayn walking up to the Bloodline locker room. But Kevin Owens catches up before Sammy can go in. Sammy tries to get Owens to back off, but Kevin wants him to listen first. Owens asks, what happens when he does or says something that pisses one of them off? Referring to the bloodline. We see Jay eavesdropping through the door as KO continues, asking how many times has he had to bail Zane out because he said or did something that pisses somebody off? And what does Sammy think Roman Reigns will do when he pisses Roman off? Kevin asks, just think about it, okay? KO says if it were him, he'd strike first. But he'll see Sammy tomorrow at the aforementioned War Games pay-per-view. Jay comes through the door and asks where Sammy's been at because they could have used him earlier in the beatdown of Drew McIntyre and Kevin Owens. Sammy retorts he texted Jimmy. Sammy was running late, and he just got here. Jay asks if Sammy's talked to anyone since getting to the arena, but Zane lies and says he just got here, and he's talking to Jay right now. Jay says everything's cool. Let's him through the door into the Bloodline locker room, leaving Jay to contemplate what just occurred. Later on in the SmackDown, during the Advantage match for entrance in War Games, Sheamus is on the outside of the ring. Jay hits him with a forearm off the apron, but Sammy gets right in Sheamus's face and taunting him. Jay pushes Sammy away, exclaiming, Back your ass up. I got this. To finish the match, we see Sammy try to pass Jay one of the tag team titles, but Owens gets in his way and takes it from Sammy. Sammy and Owens begin to jaw at one another. Sammy takes the belt back from Kevin. See Owens throw Sammy actually into the ring, and referee Charles Robinson ejects him from the arena. As a referee is dealing with Sammy, KO jumps in the ring, hits a stunner on Jay, followed up by a brogue kick from Sheamus for the victory. And we sign off SmackDown with the bloodline in the entranceway with Jay and Jimmy staring in disbelief at Sammy over costing the Usos the match. Hot dang, do we love us some Sami Zayn and bloodline sweet, sweet goodness. I was saying through the week, dude, at our uh, at our stream, I'm hoping for some drama at this uh, at this pay per view. So if you're watching this after the fact, and you'll and there was drama, you'll know that I am a happy, happy man. Definitely going to be uh, my eye out because this is just feeding fuel the fire. This has been one of our favorite storylines for the past number of months. We have a number of shorts highlighting specific story beats through it, but another one where we've been speculating at some point the bottom's going to drop out for Sammy. 
we see kind of Kevin just talking some points, man, being their longstanding relationship, roughly about 20 years or so, and through friends and enemies and frenemies at this point, he's always kind of been connected to Sammy at some point. There's some factor one another, but adding a little fuel to the fire with this and the nature of Jay eavesdropping and Sammy essentially lying to Jay. So sprinkling a little seeds of doubt in his trustworthiness, perhaps. And then Sammy inadvertently trying to help, but then costing the Usos the advantage and the bloodline the advantage in the War Games match. And man, just that SmackDown signing off with, with Jay and then subsequently Jimmy just staring holes in, in Sammy, just like, what's going on, man? So the layers on the story once again just absolutely love this this whole thing and if i can add one thing just the the nature of jay during that backstage segment he just he, he can pull off he can he can act and portray emotions so much without even having to say a word from the piece of him behind the door and kind of like curling his lip and snarling in a sense and then that before we cut away with him after sammy went in him just kind of like uh, you know rubbing his hands like you know I, I gotta do something trying to think just absolutely phenomenal yeah i can't i can't agree more this was my favorite part of the week was uh them actually getting in finally getting into it's been a couple of dry weeks for me personally finally getting into some drama here Sowing seeds of doubt at the stability of the bloodline and what's best for me is the fact that uh, Mr. Roman Reigns, as he himself, was not there, uh, was not uh, was not present for this to be going on. So, yeah, I uh, I wonder if Sammy will uh, end up heeding the words of Kevin, turning on his bloodline masters, or they can turn on him. Likely that possibly he might get turned on by the end of this big old war game. Actually, a small detail that you just mentioned is really great that Roman not being present at the SmackDown taping or not there for the for the story beats. Does he find out watching the the footage? Oh, or does he watch the show? Jimmy's course, Jay's course. gonna tell him. Jay's gonna tell him. <laughs> or does he find out from Jay, you know, sort of his side of the story? So uh just again adding little sprinkles to the story and all these layers, and it's just another the, this next story beat that we, we had it calmed down a little bit and, and sort of it, it appeared everything was was kind of oozy, if you will, but man, this is the this sort of next chapter, this little kind of bump, man. When they, I appreciate them not always kind of going 100 miles an hour with it, like every single week. Like we get these sort of these ebbs and flows. And I like that they cooled off a little bit and it gave us sort of time to simmer and then kind of added this little piece. So, yeah, this was, I, I'm in agreement with you. This was, this was the highlight of the week for me. All right. Uh, Joker, did you have anything that you wanted to highlight or have a little quick hit? The same thing that was the quick hit for me was the quick hit for you, PT, and I knew exactly that you wanted to talk about it, because as soon as I saw it, I was like, PT's going to want to talk about that. So yeah, unfortunately, I do not have anything else that this week that it has popped me. I'm sure uh, this coming uh, this coming week, there may be something 
currently cooking brewing with the uh the bloodline so we shall see Oh, 100%. So we appreciate that. I was, when I, when I saw that, I was like, man, I feel like Joker is going to enjoy this as well. So one of us had to highlight it. So we appreciate you coming along and, and enjoying and continuing to enjoy this bloodline and Sami Zayn story along with us. So if you have a quick hit, let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and let us know what your quick hits were or your pop the boy segment or just what you enjoyed in this week in the world of professional wrestling. All right. So that about wraps it up for us, Joker. How was that for you, brother? This one was another fun conversation, man. Yeah, it was really, really good. Some decent uh, some decent stuff happened last week. It gave us the opportunity to talk about some actual really good things that are going on with AEW. Um, I know we don't, I know we kind of spread it about. We sort of do WWE one week, AEW the other, and then maybe a mix of the two, you know, stuff like that there. Um, and I feel like maybe next week might be a WWE heavy week, but uh, that is simply because this week was more so the fallout of last week's uh, last week's pay-per-view, which as we've been mentioning this evening, was pretty dang good. Yeah, hot diggity. Like we'd mentioned before, it's not often that we have back-to-back weeks specifically that we have pay-per-views from definitely the two companies. So we try to spread the love around like Joker had mentioned with the nature of having everything together for a little AEW coverage, a little WWE coverage, and yeah, so... We appreciate it and definitely looking forward to the watching and just enjoying the pay-per-views full-fledged. All right, so with that, for TF Joker. Keep calm and stay oozy. And for me, Pretty Tony, thank you for your time and letting us be your part today. And remember, be good to yourself, be good to each other, and we will catch you next time. Peace.